Welcome to all of you who are newer to us, and uh, I see some new faces out there. I always do every week, but uh, good to see you today. Glad you could make it. Welcome to our house. Lord, we just thank you for this wonderful worship that went on, and um, if you miss anything with regard to the announcements, just remember there's always a bulletin instructing you what to do and where to give and how to do this, how to do that, and anything you might have heard and you were wondering, well, what is that they said? It's all in the bulletin as well. So, so we're trying to communicate as thoroughly as we can. So what I'd like to talk to you about is how God uses ordinary people for his extraordinary purposes. And um, it's a very powerful message. It's uh, a message deep in the DNA of the vineyard, not only us, but of course the vineyard throughout the whole world. And it's always been one of my favorite parts of understanding uh, the scriptures and understanding really uh, what we really brought as a movement to the world. And uh, John Wimber used to call it uh, Everybody Plays. And it wasn't just to make everybody feel good because they wanted to be, you know, everybody needs to be involved. It's this deeper, incredible inheritance that we see through the scriptures and Jesus' own will for us and his desire for his people. So if you look at your outline, hopefully everybody has a little outline there, and it says there in Roman numeral 1, we will see the kingdom come in great power in our area and in every area of the world when we realize how absolutely committed God is to using ordinary people for supernatural ministry. So that's not like just a mantra or something that we kind of especially like. It's true. The anointing is in the people. The anointing not, is not only for an individual here or there. They're only to equip the people to do actually the work and actually to see the signs and the wonders and the miracles. And uh, the deeper a church believes that, the deeper a people believe that, the more powerful we're going to become. And uh, I just love how that works. I love the whole thing. It's just uh, so amazing. And oh, there's a lady with a baptism sign running up in back, back, back in case she went to need where to go. <laughs> Follow that lady. You're looking for bad. Oh, there's two of them back there. I see one of them is Peggy and her husband. All right. <laughs> so just follow those people back there if you need some preparation. All right. So the first disciples had no super training or preparation. Their instructions were simply to proclaim the good news and heal people everywhere. <laughs> that was it. So that's the way Jesus trained his first believers. Now, of course, they hang around with him a little bit, but he basically kicked them out of the nest really early. So look at Luke chapter 9, verses 1 to 6. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them the power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. Now, he probably spoke over them, prayed over them, something like that. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. So they just had these instructions. Go out there, proclaim the good news, and heal people. And if they receive your message, great. If they don't, they just go on to the next town. Wow. That sounds really simple, doesn't it? Well, we're about to go to Tijuana. We just do the same thing, right? Or any other city or any other place or any other 
uh, uh, neighborhood. And um, matter of fact, it's just uh, so amazing. Uh, as you read these verses, it's hard to even comprehend sometimes even the way we think of ministry today and how complicated we, min- uh, we, we make it. After their ministry trip, they found 5,000 hungry men and women wanted to send them away, and they wanted to send them away, but Jesus said, you give them something to eat. So they come back, and, he, and there's 5,000 people out there, right? And uh, Jesus says, you give them something to eat. You can see that in uh, verse 13, after they ask, you know, where are we going to find so much food? These people need lodging and food. <laughs> he says, you give them something to eat which I think was a little shocking. They had to get used to stuff like that. They said, you know what, we only got five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke them. And he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. You think God's trying to say something there? <laughs> you know, Not only did the people get healed uh, like before, but now they're getting fed. Not only are they getting fed, but they're getting all these basketfuls left over. And he's using the disciples to do it which I think is extraordinary good news for us because I think sometimes when we think of ministry, we think of this long preparation thing or we're supposed to do this or that or we just got to get our mouth right or our faith just right. And it um, just seems like to me, from what I can tell here, Jesus just said to go. And I am sure they were more than a little intimidated to go. Even when they went out, they were shocked that the demons were subject to them. But this is a story stays in the past unless we apply it to the future. And I just think that uh, we just have to understand that we're God's people wherever we go. No matter what situation we find ourselves, even when we find ourselves in a needy situation, but we still have someone powerful on the inside of us. The miracle for us just hasn't come yet, but it could be right for somebody else. This has always been the plan. What is the Jesus plan for taking care of the needs of hungry people in our area? Two things are certain. First, it will be impossible. (laughs) And the second thing, God will use us miraculously to provide. So we've been demonstrating that over and over again for a number of years. You know, uh, I remember telling you so many times about the time when Mother Teresa spoke to me directly and said, look, see, and do something about it, you know. And after I'd been contemplating actually feeding people, but I couldn't figure out how to do that or how to think of that, even in this wealthy area, I thought, well, who in the world's going to even be in line, or who's going to want that, right? To my utter shock and amazement, I was wrong. She told me I was wrong. I said, you don't know where I live. And she says, where do you live? And I said, Orange County. She said, well, I've been there. You're wrong. <laughs> but when she said I was wrong, like, you know, I just sort of rattled around in me a long time. But she was more right from more different vantage points than I, than I, vantage points than I knew. I was thinking, well, there's not that many needy people in our area. But actually the truth is the ones that were needy are not only the ones that are given stuff, but also there's the need in every believer to be a giver. It's very hard to stand still and be a believer. Very hard. We see this with the first believers. We applaud them. We think, wow, good job, you guys. That must have been really scary back then. (laughs) 
not thinking that actually that's us. That's our job. That's what we do. You give them something to eat. You help them. You help them. Whether it's a warehouse or not a warehouse, wherever you are, where you see people in need, volunteer. And even when you don't have much, or you think you don't have much, which often we find ourselves in that space, Sometimes I wonder if God just grinds us into that position just so he can get us in that space where we don't have anything to give. We, we feel like we're on empty. And not only do we give food away, but also miracles away. That's why in a few moments we'll have a ministry team up there, up here. And, uh, and this, we just do that with each other all the time, right? But the ministry team that we have up here in the front aren't special people, they're ordinary people. But here's the secret, because I've noticed through the years many, many years now that um, people invariably want me to pray for them or someone that's like recognized or whatever. But they forgot uh, the scriptures. They forgot the real power. I'm only one person. That's one issue. But the second issue is I may not be the one carrying your miracle. He sent them out. He didn't go himself. He sent them out. They were carrying when he sent them out, right? And so the needs in our area, there's all kinds of hungry people. There's hungry people naturally and supernaturally. I think we're looking at the biggest famine probably we've ever seen in the whole history of, of our country. Just people hungry for God, hungry for change, needing things in their life, right? And the answer is, you give them something to eat. The anointing for this lies on us. So the more mobilized we get and the more we believe that with all our heart and mind, no matter where we're at, the more we're going to see. And uh, Jesus knew that. He was preparing them, not only the special 12, but he trained them in such a way that like anybody could do it. Just go out there. <laughs> There's no training thing. You watch me do it, but, you know, and we always want to have it. And then you watch for this and that. And okay, that's important, I think. But 95% of it, and I think we can get better at praying for people, but 95% of it is just simply going, just simply offering ourselves to, to pray for someone, right? And if you look at uh, Luke chapter 9, let me read uh, verses uh, 28 to 36. About eight days later, after Jesus said this, he took Peter and John and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfill, fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they came, became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying, right? <laughs> and we probably would have done the same thing. What do you do? I mean, I mean, it's not every day you're in that kind of place with the Lord, right? Well, he was still speaking. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen, listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept to themselves and not tell anyone at that time when they had seen what they had seen. So listen to him. Do what he says. So what does he say? 
You give them something to eat. You go out there. You go do it. By the way, don't take anything with you. Just go. Just go. You do what I, you saw me do, right? I mean, there wasn't much detail beyond that. That's the same commission that we have. And the weakness of it is what God loves. He loves the whole thing. If he says to go, you go. Well, by extension, he told us to go. And he loves the weakness of it. Could I say that again? God gives grace to the humble. You've been equipped. You are carrying. You have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. You have the promise of God. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples. Go. You know enough. You know far more than you need to know even to make disciples. Just tell them what happened to you and pray for them and show them the power of God. It's that simple. When I go to other countries, I'm just so always amazed and shocked because amongst the multitudes sometimes we find ourselves in, there's nobody there except for the people that just got saved sometimes. And they help us then, the ones that like been saved a couple hours, help us pray for the ones that haven't been saved yet at all or not healed yet. They just do it. And the gospel multiplies. So it still works. It still works today. What isn't working maybe is our faith. Our faith to believe. Our faith to step out. Our faith to be bold. You know, even as we've considered this whole task, and we can keep considering this task of feeding people and helping people, the warehouse was established for that purpose. But I always thought too grandiose. I always thought too big. I was always being too big trying to figure it all out. I tell you what, you spend a lot of hours in the figure-out room uh, delaying miracles and delaying things God wants you to do. He rarely gives you a master plan. He just gives you one step at a time. You know, so, sometimes you have to work to find that. And once you find the step and once you start moving, then things begin to happen. And this happens in lots of ways. I could even take it into the marketplace. There's very similar things in the marketplace. And actually, if I could just say this, even in our role in the marketplace, even our jobs in the marketplace. God often wants to promote us and move us forward, but we're too afraid. We're too afraid of what might happen. We're too afraid we can't do this, we can't do that, or whatever. But God is a promotional God. He wants you to move forward. He wants you to be the head and not the tail. He wants you to demonstrate the power of Jesus in some of the strangest places, from the boardroom to the poorest place. It's all the same, right? And he wants you to be a shining example. He wants you to succeed. He wants you to do well. And he wants to use that testimony for others. He wants to show you how to make money. He wants to show you how to be successful. He wants to show you how to walk with him. And he wants you to pass that on. A starving world is waiting us, right? And uh, so even the opportunities, I was talking to somebody the other day, and I was just thinking about what happened with the COVID thing. And I just found myself saying that was the greatest opportunity I've ever had to share Jesus and to, to share the kingdom of God. It's still reverberating even today. That was a privilege. And it was, wasn't it suspicious that everybody in the whole world was trying to shut us up and keep us locked up? And, you know, <laughs> At the moment that the world needed the most healing, the enemy was trying to keep us isolated. You give them something to eat. We actually had the healing in our hands. We have the ability to do this, right? We're freaking out. I think it was one big, massive test, frankly. And it wasn't easy because so much social pressure, so much was on us, right? You know, and 
I don't mean that we shouldn't have been careful and wear a mask from time to time, I guess, even though, well, get your own scientific proof about that. I did the research myself. I really did, honestly. I went to med school, and I actually looked it up for myself to find out. So, But anyway, so I knew early on uh, the mask that they were asking us to wear, with the exception of an N95, wasn't doing any good anyway. But still, it was the courage God was after. One thing I'm proud that we did was we left the warehouse open no matter what. And we kept feeding people. You give them something to eat. We literally kept doing that and kept praying for them. And, uh, and also, for the most part, as well. But so the thing is, the title of this message is How God Uses Ordinary People for His Extraordinary Purposes. But when the time comes for the extraordinary purposes, it's not a pristine atmosphere. We're like in a nice church, and there's a beautiful carpet, and there's this guy with a tie, and we're flowing around, you know, and everything. The extraordinary miracles happen in the nastiest places. They happen in places where people aren't doing well, <laughs> very well at all. And, um, and so that's one reason why, in a way, it's a privilege to actually keep ministering to people who are not doing well, because that's where all the miracles happen. We know for a fact. I mean, it's probably in the hundreds now of people who have been healed of cancer right out there in that tent. We followed up on them. It's been a long time, a number of years, right? But I'll take it. It's amazing. They just come back. It's always the same. Well, like, you prayed for me last week, and here's my test. I came back, and the doctor said, I didn't know what happened. It's gone. And this has happened so much, it's just downright embarrassing. That's why I was so happy when we moved into the tent for a while, because I thought, well, maybe some of that will work. <laughs> you know? But it wasn't the tent. It was, it's just the attitude. It's just uh, take the professionalism out, break the need, and make it high, you know, both your insecurity and their need, and then go pray, right? And that's the simplest formula. And I, I think Peggy actually has a number of how many have been healed of cancer, People came back and said, they literally, here's the test, it's gone, everything. It's it's way up there. Way, way up there. Huh? It's way more than that. That might be this year. No, it's in the hundreds now. It's amazing. You would think after these events, Jesus' disciples would be supercharged and flowing with Jesus, right? <laughs> I mean, they feed 5,000. They had their own miracle ministry, right? It happened before that. And a few of them like saw the transfiguration, believe me, they told their buddies about it, right? <laughs> but the disciples, we find just a few verses later, look at this. This is Luke chapter 9, verses 46 to 48. An argument started among them as to which of them would be the greatest. <laughs> Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had them stand beside him. Then he said to them, Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For as the one who is least among you, all who is the greatest. So the thing is, we would think, well, that's the silliest thing of all. But it's amazing, as miracles begin to break out, how people get competitive with it. Remember that? It's amazing to me. When the more the miracles, the more things break out, and the more God uses people, people start getting jealous of people. They start, they, they do this, this strange little thing, this little pride kind of weird thing breaks out, and pretty soon we start revering someone like that has the most miracles, you know, we elevate them. But they're just another person like we are, right? And we get in all of these tide pools and crazy things, and 
And I'm, I'm convinced now more than ever that one reason why the Lord doesn't entrust us more is simply, first of all, people aren't praying. And second of all, when they do and we see the miracles, then there's all kinds of crazy like competition and jealousy and weird stuff. Well, thankfully, we're not alone. The ones that Jesus chose to be his disciples and the whole earth went through the same very thing, right? <laughs> so why is this written? Well, it's written for us to avoid, right? Master, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name. We tried to stop him because he's not one of us. He doesn't do it like we do it. Gosh. In the vineyard, we teach some things, some good things to do to actually see miracles or to see things, but there's no real one method. It's just they have a need, you're willing to pray, and then something happens. There are things that you can do that are better than others. There are things that you can notice and, and actually be used by the Lord just by noticing and being trained just a little bit. But the basic step is the same. And the ones that pray the most for the most people see the more, most miracles generally, right? Unless they let it overcome them, right? Master, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he's not one of us. He doesn't do it like us. He didn't do it like us. Now, I've seen that in the vineyard before. He didn't do it like us. Right? Well, we do have a way that's kind of good. If anything, we're just trying to keep the thing as simple, as humble as possible. Because sometimes people get way too full of themselves, just with just a little breakthrough. They don't know it, but they become arrogant, and they become crazy, and they start, you know, they just... So the thing is, I think the most important thing is just stay ordinary and generous and open to people. Right? Don't carry airs on and think that, you know, even if you get this huge revelation, be careful how you share it. And be careful how much you, you know, you, you project onto people. Just be simple disciples giving people something to eat, right? You give them something to eat. You give them a miracle. You pray for them, right? Jesus says back to them, do not stop them. Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. So if they're doing their best and going forward, right? Just be careful, right? Even though they don't do it exactly like you do. And if the demons are dry, being driven out, that's a pretty good idea, right? So if they're coming out, they're coming out. <laughs> and by the way, on that subject, there's all kinds of styles and ways of doing it. I've been kind of laughing to, my, to myself a little bit because uh, there's been sort of a new wave over the body of Christ, you know, for deliverance. But I'm finding all, the same stuff being crop up, right? People have a certain way of doing it, right? I mean, very specific. And there is some knowledge I think you have to know in that. But the basic idea is use the name of Jesus and cast the thing out, right? <laughs> and then but the funny thing about it is the enemy's not stupid. He, you know, he knows about what kind of method and thing you're going to use, right? So when your method doesn't work, then what do you do? You just keep on going until he leaves. That's all you do. <laughs> just keep on going. <laughs> you don't hold your mouth right. Go and find a bigger cross and put it in front of him. You know, <laughs> and, and, and try to figure out some more wisdom or some more word of knowledge or something. I'm not getting here. You know, it's just pretty simple. You know, and to our shock, if something holds back and won't come out immediately, it just takes some time sometimes. And that's the most shocking thing of all. Why would it take some time? I have no idea. But don't let that offend you. Just keep going. 
Keep going. Keep praying for them. And if it takes two days or five days or eight days, keep going till finally they're free, right? I think this simplicity is so important. It keeps us be thinking too highly of ourselves, but it also keeps us accurate, right? It keeps us like on point. When a Samaritan village would not offer them hospitality on their way to Jerusalem, these, these disciples, and this is, uh, this is one reason probably why we don't experience more. It's just about the time we experience something supernatural and we see something happening. We just get too full of ourselves, and then we start doing things like this. Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? Now, this is the original 12. <laughs> this is Peter and John. This is the, on this rock... I'll build my church. Lord, you want me to call fire down from heaven and destroy all these people? Because they're resisting us, right? They wouldn't even give us a drink of water. (laughs) Wow. You know what's so great? He used people like that. So he still used them. He turned and rebuked them first. Then after that, he went on to another village. Isn't it amazing that Jesus just went on to another village? He just... Jesus said, well, I'll just move along. That in itself is instructive. That in itself is instructive. When people are open, Jesus stays. When they're not, he might just pass on. Right? Same with us. Same with us. Faith makes the world go around in the spirit, right? And so we always want to be open. And, you know, sometimes even, like, could I just suggest to you that sometimes the strangest people praying for you the person that you would consider the most unanointed. Often the beauty and the majesty of Jesus is he's so humble who use that person in your life. So that's why I love to have just people, ordinary people come up. That's why there's a glory to the ministry team or a ministry team or anybody that becomes, puts them in a place where they would just like to pray for someone. Some of us are a little bit better, but only in the sense that we feel more comfortable with these concepts of, and, and we look a little bit and we talk less. And then we notice through practice the Lord just sort of, uh, we see something that we've seen before and then we go do that and pray that kind of prayer, right? So there is some skill involved and some ability, but I think the most important thing for all of us is that God likes to use ordinary people, just remembering our ordinariness. And then sometimes just about the time we think we've got something figured out, it doesn't work the same way anymore, you know? We've seen like five people healed like this and then all of a sudden... Nothing's happening, right? So we just remember God, and we just keep praying, keep seeking God's face, and we don't wear badges, and we don't get uh, freaked out if who we prayed for or something we prayed for doesn't happen. We just carry the water. We just deliver the mail, right? That's what we do. And it's not just a just either. It's powerful. A whole group of people think like this. It's amazing. God gives grace to the humble, and so wherever we can find humility in the, this space and then just be obedient just to keep moving and keep moving forward, I think that we'll just see more and more happen and God will teach us and we'll get our confidence up. You would think that Jesus would have given up on his disciples, Roman numeral three. We probably would have taken them out of the program for a while so they could get a little more seasoned. <laughs> it's so funny because... Uh, we are such a training, you know, culture, you know, oh my gosh, you know, they just need a little more seasoning, right? We're all novices, almost most of the time, right? We're novices. 
we're only not novices in the sense that we're being willing to week after week, day after day, pray for people. But we always are seeing something new, and sometimes we see something we've seen before and we're, we're helpful, but no means, no reason to be arrogant about it. We just kind of have a little bit of experience, so it's very helpful, right? Because we just love to know that we could be used like that, and the thought that we could be used by that keeps us motivated, and we just keep on praying, keep on seeing things happening. And uh, I like some of you, you're like addicts for this. You just love to see God do stuff, and you never quite got over the first one that ever got healed, and you're not going to get over the 50th one. You just love to see people get well. You love to see miracles. And so that's why some of us do this more than others. They just are kind of addicted, you know. They just, I don't know what happened. They just got addicted, you know. They got, And it's their faith and whatever, and also maybe some calling. So... Like I said here, we'd have probably taken them out and got, you know, you just need a little more seasoning. Instead, Jesus pointed 72 other novices to do the same thing and told them to ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Luke chapter 10, verses 1 to 17. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals. Do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, Peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcome to eat what is offered to you, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcome, go into its streets and say, Well, even the dust of, our, of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. Has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Anybody remember what happened to Sodom? So this speaks of the holiness, blessedness, the authority of which we're given to minister to people, right? We're not supposed to, Jesus causes that to happen, whatever that is, the judgment, whatever, but it's a sovereign thing when anyone encounters one of us. We feel so weak and insignificant, but it's a sovereign thing when anyone is in dire need and we're there and we're the one the Lord sends. It's a, it's a, powerful, it's a powerful thing, right? Whoever listens to you listens to me. What an amazing thing. We find ourselves in a position where whoever listens to us is listening to God. Whoever rejects you rejects me, but whoever rejects me not, <clears throat> rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Now, Jesus had to give the 72 a little bit of correction. We look at it in verses 18 to 20. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, and here's the key thing, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So again, be careful about that arrogance thing. Don't re rejoice over you've now found a new deliverance ministry. Rejoice that, hey, my name is written in heaven. Everybody can do this. Everybody can pray for these people. Everybody can rebuke demons. Everybody can do this, right? But you know what? My name's written in heaven. I belong to Jesus. Jesus was very, power, was very happy to see power released through ordinary people 
And the father was pleased too. And look what, this is, this is the part I really like. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit. So when we do these sort of things, it fills the Father's heart, Jesus' heart with joy. And he says this, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, this is what you were pleased to do. So he likes to release miracles, wisdom from heaven, the very power of heaven, through ordinary folks. Look at verse 22. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father. And no one who knows the Father is, is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see but did not see it, and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. And by the way, that didn't lessen with time. That includes us too upon whom the ages have fallen, the end of the ages have fallen. There's more power, more amazing things released in the earth, in the whole earth, than has ever been in the history of the planet. There are more moves of God, more things going, more people just are literally resurrected from the dead. These miracles and signs and wonders are going all over the world today. It's a great, amazing time uh, to live in and can come soon to a theater near you as well, right? <laughs> Jesus isn't looking for perfectly qualified people. He's looking for people with heart and boldness, even though they are all works in progress. I like this little proverb. It's 14.4. Where there are no oxen, the manger is empty, but from the strength of an ox come abundant harvest. Right? So <laughs> what he's saying is, he's, this is a, a proverb, right? And I was actually looking in the, the uh, little Bible dictionary thing in, uh, I think it was Tyndale. He says, this proverb is not a plea for laziness, but for readiness to accept upheaval and mess to clean up as part of the price of growth. <laughs> so when we're growing, there's also a mess sometimes, right? If there's no mess, there's no oxen. The manger's empty, there's a problem, Right? So in our antiseptive culture, as we try to do things in the name of the Lord, try to witness and share, there's just lots of room, right? Jesus would have you try and rather step out and like the way that you try to witness better than the person who says, you know, I need to get too trained first. I need to get trained up real well first, right? Because there's just a urgency. And so what most of us know, just from sitting through church for year after year, we know the basic concepts, right? And we're just the ones that deliver the mail. And sometimes it gets a little messy. Sometimes we get a little full of ourselves. Sometimes we get a little bit too crazy, right? But, you know, even if people are proud or they're a little arrogant or maybe they're a little whatever, you know, um, or even maybe not holding their right mouth right or maybe doing things the way you would do it and everything, uh, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. The cause of Jesus needs to go forward. I think sometimes one of the problems that we have uh, is training. Also, one of the opportunities we have is training. <laughs> so we want to train, but the way we want to train is, look, here's the most important thing. You need to make yourself vulnerable and do it in faith. If you don't do it exactly like right or perfect, we'll help you with that. We're okay with that. We don't want to keep making the same mistakes, but, but I just want to make sure that in our environment, we always have a positive environment. Go for it. Try it. Do it. 
Do your best, you know. Go out there. And if there's a little fine-tuning, then be humble enough to accept it. Maybe I think anyone that wants to see miracles and signs and wonders and power move is very open. Right? Some of us get full of ourselves, get a, what we call a religious spirit. So we have to undo that sometimes. But for the most part, it's just so important that we just keep trying. Even if we get a little full of ourselves and feel like, you know, a gunslinger a little bit, you know, and <laughs> get proud and arrogant. I'd rather us go that way than nothing, you know, because where there are no oxen, the manger's empty, right? From the strength of an ox come abundant harvest. So abundant harvests don't come from perfect people that know how to do it. They just come from willing people. And if you learned anything from the Jesus films and the stuff that we just saw celebrating the movement of God, just celebrate it in a way that know that uh, there was lots of messes along the way, but also great power. People really blew it. Huh. Is that right? People really messed up. <laughs> but what glory, what glory, right? What glory there is and there was, right? And so that's really good news for all of us, as long as we don't become one of the arrogant ones, right? So this wasn't the first time God had trouble finding people for his program. He's always looking for someone who will build the wall and stand before him on behalf of the land so he'll not have to destroy it. So we see in the Old Testament some great passages. And I love these passages so much. The people of the land practice extortion and commit robbery. They oppress the poor and needy and mistreat the foreigner, denying them justice, is Exodus 22. I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found none. So I'll pour out my wrath on them and consume them with my fiery anger, bringing down on their own heads all they have done, declares the Sovereign Lord. My goodness, what a season we live in. The land is not doing well. But what God's doing is he's looking for someone who will stand before him in the gap, cry out to God for the land, and minister to the weak and to the broken, even though they're weak and broken and they have stupid ideas and even crazy ideas, right? Jesus is looking for someone. Isn't that weird? Why? Well, he could do it himself. Why didn't he just like remove these people or do this and forget? Nope, he didn't do it without us. I looked for someone. This is the way God always is. He's looking for someone who will build up the wall. He wants you to do it, to stand up for God's cause on behalf of the land so I don't have to destroy it. But I found no one. Oh, my gosh. Our land, if it's destroyed, it will only be because the church didn't stand up. Do you hear what I said? Yeah. If the land's destroyed, our own land, it's because the church didn't stand up. I'm proud of the way people have stood up in this time and suffered greatly for it, lost their jobs sometimes. And I'm just talking about even just the basic gospel and basic righteousness. A boy's a boy, a girl's a girl. Simple stuff like that, right? Right? So we need to build up the wall. We have to stand there, and they hate us. I think sometimes the enemy recognizes before the people of God understand who they are. The enemy sees what we're carrying, what we're packing, understands our philosophy completely. Do you understand his philosophy? The thief, the enemy, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Whichever way he can lie, cheat his way into sending people to a devil's hell, sending people to an earthly hell. That's what he does, right? So where's the answer? We're wringing our hands. Lord, Lord, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? 
God says, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? That's where we're at right now. And it's not just your politics. I mean, as long as it's righteousness, that's good. I'm glad that they repeal, repealed the abortion amendment, but that's just the, he- that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's all kinds of abor- uh, issues out there in our everyday life, right? And we have to stand. And the world increasingly hates us because they know what we stand for even more than we know what we stand for. I think some people are generally surprised. What's the world? What are they doing picking on churches? I'm surprised they didn't start earlier. That's where all the life's coming from. <laughs> they just got smart. Said, you know what I think? We'll just start uh, picking on the churches. We'll just start calling these denominations to account. We'll start, we'll start messing with them. We'll start calling them bigots and racists, you know? And, and the church's going, what did I do to deserve that? I'm not a bigot. I'm not a racist. But from their point of view, <laughs> you have standards. They have no standards. You have righteousness. You say this far and no more. They have none of that. So for you, they call you names, and right? I just think we should wear the name better. I think we should do even more. I think they should call us even more names. Not that I want to be called names, but actually when we're doing our job, they're going to really have a hard time with that. And it's going to get worse. We're going to get stronger, and they're going to get madder. I don't like being called names. In our country, we're not used to being that way, right? Because the church has leavened so well, I think, many things for many years, but over the last 20 years or so, uh, it's been a little weak, right? And so we're finding ourselves in this environment again. And guess what? We're Again, look at this. This is God speaking. I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me on the gap in the gap on behalf of the land. So I, not, I would not have to destroy it, but I found no one. Whoa. Okay. So there's a social part of this, but could I just say this one thing? This is really important. One of the most powerful weapons you have in your mouth is not activism. It's actually that you would actually pray for your country, pray for people, and you do it in groups, and you do it all the time. Right? So this standing in the grab, the <laughs> Did I say crap or gap? Stand in the gap, right? <laughs> it's, so we're those people. We stand in prayer over our land. We appeal to the Lord of heavens, right? And then there are occasionally times where we just have to stand up and socially be just and say, no, we're not going to have that in our schools. No, we can't do that, right? But I just wish that the church would just get their prayer bearings back and pray and cry out to God in groups and all the time and and uh, whatever we hear about large gatherings, whatever, small gatherings, just continue to pray because Jesus is looking for people who will pray and agree with him, right? Look at Second Chronicles chapter 7, verses 13 to 16. When I shut up the heavens so there's no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. So turning from the wicked ways, we ourselves get clean. We don't do the same things and think the same way the world does. But also we humble ourselves and we pray and we seek his face. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. What a promise. That's the world's world too. That's sinner's land. But our land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name be, may be there forever. My, 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 art, my eyes and my heart will always be there. 
So in that day, it was a natural temple, right? It was a building, a place, right? Now the temple is the saints, where two or three gather is the temple. This is the temple, right? I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name be made may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. Do you realize Jesus' heart is always here with us? So, then, it's so important that the people who are called by God's name will humble themselves and pray. And uh, I just think this is so important. And not just on a day when we call for a day of prayer, a national day of prayer. You know what? When we have a national day of prayer, everybody should take part. That's one day where all the Christians in the world can gather together and pray. I think the world's getting hot enough for beginning to realize it's not so great anymore. Maybe we should just take God up on some of these ancient promises. And we have a prayer meeting. Let's have a prayer meeting, right? Everybody shows up, right? For our city, for our area. We're fighting for our land because I've chosen and consecrated this temple. Who's the temple? It's the people of God so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. This is where my mind and my heart is. So ask me. Tell me what I need to do. I want you to tell me. I want you to humble yourself and commit and, and submit to me all your own failures and your sins and pray and seek my face, turn for your own wicked ways, and then open your mouth and ask God to bring the floodgates. I think that's a pretty simple prescription. God's program is for ordinary people to carry out a supernatural agenda. My favorite characters in the whole Bible is Jonah. <laughs> God called Jonah to warn Nineveh, but Jonah didn't want Nineveh to repent and went the opposite direction. I think sometimes, like, you know, in our zeal, we just want God to destroy people. Bad politicians, bad cities. Could I just gently rebuke you? Please. Please, don't look at areas of the country and say, oh, it's too late for them. Actually, that's what they ironically do with us most of the time in California. But once you leave and go to some other place, don't go back, don't say that about California, all right? Really, just remember who we are. God called Jonah to warn Nineveh to the worst place, to the worst place. If Christians should be moving anywhere, they should move here to all these nasty states called California and New York. Wouldn't you think that would be the reaction? If you actually were going to move, you would move in the opposite direction. If all the hell's breaking loose and California's about to fall into the sea, California's polluting the nation, as is New York or some other state, then you would think the Christians would go, hot dog, that's my assignment. I'm going there to make a difference. No, we're running away. We're fleeing on horses, and flee you will. Away we go. Boy, we don't care if it's 105 degrees out there. We don't care. We don't care if there's tornadoes and hurricanes of every kind. No, we're going to get out of that horrible place. <laughs> so Jonah doesn't want to go. He hates these people so much. He goes in the opposite direction. He goes to this ship, and he's on a sail, and he's sailing as fast as he can to get away from Nineveh, because Nineveh's inland, and he's getting on a ship, and he's getting out of there, right? Because he hated Nineveh. I think he knew.
because Nineveh was ultimately the country that would invade Israel first and destroy them. He didn't want anything to do with being a prophet, right? I think he might have had a sense of that. It didn't happen until years later. But Jonah didn't want Nineveh to repent and went the opposite direction. He had to be swallowed by a fish before he felt led to go. <laughs> I wonder if God still swallows us like that before we feel led. And then after we experience a little, well, okay, I'll go. I'm, I think I'll do. I think I'll. I think I'll go a different direction than I've been doing. I think I'm going to change my mind. <laughs> the question is, two questions. Why would God still use Jonah, Jonah, even though he's trying to go the opposite way? And why would God care about the Ninevites, who are the most sinful, horrible people on the planet? So Jonah's going the opposite way, so he sends a fish to get him and bring him back, and sends him anyway. And, and he doesn't want to be there, and the Ninevites, you know, they don't even know they have a need. And then he starts preaching to them, and they repented. And Jonah got mad. They repented. Now, the question is, if everybody started repenting, would we be happy about that? Would we look at them with squinty eyes and say, I don't know, I don't think they could ever repent. I don't know. I think we should all be expecting the world to repent and change. So there's something about us that's redemptive we can't get away from as the church. We are redemptive. We're the ones that change things. We're the ones that control the weather and the economy, right? Wow. And if these guys turned back, that would be God's heart and delight. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. And he was just going through this gigantic city just saying, repent, there's judgments is coming. That's all it took. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw this, they did and how saw what they did and how they turned from evil ways, he relented and not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. And here's poor old Jonah. He's really mad about the whole thing. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. These people are wrong. They have everything morally. They're corrupt. They're corrupting our kids. Everything they touch, they're idolaters. He said, Lord, isn't this what I said while I was still at home? This is, what I, this is why I tried to flee to Tarshish. I, I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sin and calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. <laughs> but the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, <laughs> and waited to see what would happen to the city. He's still hoping it's going to be go under, right? Then the Lord provide. I wonder if we aren't on the timetable we think we're on. Wonder if the whole world began to repent and turn to Jesus Christ. Wonder if they gave up their sin. What would we do? That shouldn't be a shock to us. That should be our faith. That should be what we're expecting, not what we're shocked about. And what would happen if they began to do that? Well, how would we respond to that? I wonder if we would be like Jonah. Or at least how much like Jonah. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about that plant. 
Boy, he is so much like us, it's just scary, isn't it? But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. And so I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. <laughs> is it possible that we could actually be like this? Oh, boy, I don't even want to say yes to that, but it probably is, right? But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it, make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? He threw in the animals, even. 120,000 people. You know, there's populations all over the world that can't tell their right hand from their left. And we would nuke them in a moment if we got a chance. Because they got these missiles rattling around and we're afraid of them, right? What they could do. wonder if they all repented, turned back. Wouldn't that be something? Wow. So I want to just finish with this verse, Matthew 28, 16 to 20, which is a great, great, lovely passage all of us know and memorized, right? But let's just read it. The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And there, here's the key. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That little phrase there means everything in the book, all the examples in the book, they apply to us. They're for us. They're for our understanding. Even Jonah and Nineveh, all of them, all of it. These disciples going out and seeing the demons come out and healing the sick. and Every way we're used, Lord, we just thank you for the privilege of being Christians and being in your cause. We thank you, Lord, that we are ordinary, but we're extraordinary. You called us to an extraordinary call in Jesus' name. Why don't we all stand?